This is the On The Banks podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Lance Glenn. Hello, hello, hello. I am, of course, your host, Lance Glenn, and this is episode four of the On The Banks podcast. Of course, if you don't already, you can follow me on Twitter at Lance underscore G11, and you can follow On The Banks on Twitter as well at OTB underscore SB Nation, where you can find out what our next podcasts are going to be about, if we're going to have any guests, and what those guests will be talking about. But for episode four, we're going to switch it over as July is here. You know, the live period in basketball starts. And who better to talk Rutgers basketball with than our own On the Banks contributor, Dave White. Dave, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks so much for joining me for episode four here on the On the Banks podcast. Thank you. Episode four, this is like the thunderball if you're a James Bond fan of, of podcast episodes. This is pretty good. It's like not the beginning, getting in your stride. Yeah, no, it, it certainly is, and it's, you know, the, the one thing that I, I love, you know, the first podcast, we had, we had Aaron on, uh, Aaron Brightman, and we had David Anderson on, and we kind of talked a whole, you know, about a whole bunch of things. We, we brought up basketball a little bit. It was right after Paul Mulcahy uh, committed, so that was a little bit of a topic. Then we had a couple coaches on, you know, Joe Leterio, the baseball coach, Kristen Butler, the, the new softball coach. But I'm glad we're going back to uh, our own On the Banks contributors. We're getting back to, and, and look, I follow you on Twitter before, you know, I, I, I was introduced to you and before I met you. And man, I love your uh, your four thoughts after every single basketball game. I just I, I can't get enough of them. I love them. I would always read them back when I was a student um, at Rutgers. I, I would always I always wanted to see what you had to think about. You know, be it a win or a loss. And, and I'm glad that we're we're bringing back our own and we're talking again. You know, so much to talk about with Rutgers basketball. So much excitement after last season. So much positivity and optimism coming into next year. And you know. This team, one where it, it lost its star this offseason, but, you know, it's gained back uh, so many old pieces from last year's team and so many new pieces coming in, uh, recruits, uh, players that were ineligible last year. And I'm just so excited to see what this new team brings uh, come next season for head coach Peichel. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's really exciting. I, I, it's funny when I'm, I'm sitting around, you know, looking for things to do or, or whatever, and I pop on YouTube, I, I find myself searching out clips like highlights of that Indiana game in the Big Ten tournament, and even the, the, the Purdue game, because it was just so back and forth, and I think, you know, you really got a sense of what Rutgers basketball under Steve Peichel could be in those three games, the Minnesota game as well, and it's just, you know, yeah, they lost their star and, and their big power forward, but there's just so much optimism going forward of what could be built here after that do you agree you're 100% right you know so much to look forward to uh this coming season so many losses you know the star of the team as you mentioned Corey Sanders he's gone the big power forward who you brought up Deshaun Freeman he's gone but I want to start off with the loss of Corey Sanders because you know one stat that I brought up constantly I I called the games for WRSU uh in the Big Ten tournament and one stat that I brought up constantly uh as the season wound down and during the Big Ten tournament was the play of Corey Sanders in Rutgers' losses and Rutgers' wins. And it just showed how much they leaned on him. You know, during the regular season, Rutgers, when they beat Big Ten teams, so their three Big Ten wins, he averaged 24 points per game. I believe over 24 points per game. I think it was like 24.1, 24.2. But in their losses, he only averaged 12. So, you know, you're going from a team last year and, and years before where they – 
offensively relied so heavily on Corey Sanders, and when he wasn't on, that team wasn't on, to now a new team where you're going to have a new star, hopefully in Geo Baker, or who knows who it could be, you know, a guy like Montez Mathis coming in as a new recruit, maybe, you know, a Eugenio Marie, but a new star nonetheless, and they're going to have to kind of formulate this offense away from a, a one-man attack to now a whole team attack, and I'm excited to see, you know, what Coach Peichel could bring uh, to this new offense to see, you know, no more Corey Sanders, yes, but all right, who's going to be that star? Who's going to be those guys to step up and carry this offensive load? Yeah, I think it's really interesting when you look back at those losses. Um, one of the things I actually wrote about for On the Banks a lot was that pack line defense that people like, um, the, you know, the coach at Indiana and the coach at, at Illinois who were out of the season, and I can see their faces, and I'm forgetting their names. I know Archie is at uh, – Yeah, Archie Miller and Brad Underwood Brad is Underwood, the yeah. – they, they kind of did that, that defense where you, they take the point guard out of it, and unless you shoot, like, a ridiculous amount from three, you weren't going to win. And as we saw last year, most nights they, they didn't shoot well from three. And I, I think what you're going to see differently is, you know, Geo can shoot and Issa Cham can shoot, but I think Peichel brought in some guys like Ron Harper and Peter Kiss coming off his red shirt where there's going to be depth there and more weapons where they don't have to rely on you know, let's get the point guard to drive to the hoop and hope he makes a ridiculous shot or that that, that fadeaway is falling um, and that there are more weapons there to, to really attack the basket. I don't know. The, the interesting thing is they're so young that I don't know how long it's going to take to click. But at the same time, I think there's so much depth that there's less likely to be uh, off nights. Yeah, certainly. And you know what I, I noticed? There's so much depth or so much more depth, I think, uh, coming up at the guard position, right? You know, Geo Baker obviously is another year older, and he's a player we'll talk about more um, as the podcast moves along. But, you know, Peter Kiss, a guy um, who who has played who played guard back in Quinnipiac, uh, who can obviously, you know, shoot the three, who is an offensive threat. Um, Issa Cham, who's not necessarily a guard, more of a wing player, obviously. But, you know, Caleb McConnell coming in as a recruit. Montez Mathis coming in as a recruit. Ron Harper coming in, more of that wing player, too. But it seems like in the guard and that wing position, now more than last year, there's so much depth there. You know, last year, you look at it, right? Corey Sanders and Geo Baker were your two main guys. Mike Williams, obviously, that third guard coming off the bench. But after that, you know, they, they lacked the depth. Suf Mensah wasn't really an offensive threat. You know, you got what you got out of guys like Jake Datica and Matt Bullock. But this year, it seems like the, the staff has really addressed that depth issue um, at the guard spot and at the wing spot. And I think, you know, while Corey Sanders is not there and he's not there to carry that offensive load, on nights where maybe Geo Baker's off or on nights where, you know, maybe Montez Mathis is off, they're going to have more depth to lean on if those guys aren't having their, you know, shoot well games or their games where they're going off for 20 to 25 points. Yeah, I, I completely agree. You know, uh, people, I'm sure people remember, you know, that long stretch where Mike Williams was hurt last year. So it was really just um, Geo and, and Corey and then Geo got sick and my dog is barking because he's remembering how bad that shooting was. <laughs> Sadie, it's okay. Um, you know, and now you can kind of withstand an injury, you know, and the, those pieces, I remember a couple of years ago, Isacham really uh, played two guard for a while in Pykele's first mm -hmm. year. And, and it's interesting, you know, you look at it and, and you look at the development, obviously, too, because while they are bringing in more depth, you mentioned a guy like Issa Chom. Rutgers is counting on those players to kind of take the next step, you know. Issa Chom, obviously another year older, he's 
throughout his career here at Rutgers has been, you know, looked at to be that guy who shoots the long ball, who is that uh, that threat from three in the corner. And, you know, he's shown glimpses at times, but he's also shown times where, you know, he's been hesitant to shoot the three. Also down low, you know, Rutgers could certainly use more uh, down low scoring from their big men. A guy like Shaq Dorson, obviously you want him in his final season to be that real threat down low. A guy like Mamadou Dukour, obviously, he, a freshman last year, got you know put into big minutes, important minutes early on in his career. You hope that those will help him throughout this offseason develop into his sophomore year. And a guy like Shaq Carter, too, who a lot of people I know are putting you know lofty expectations on. You hear that, hey, maybe he's the perfect replacement for a guy like Deshaun Freeman, who obviously left after his senior year. So, you know, while the guards are going to be there and they have that guard depth, you want to see development throughout. You know, a guy like Eugenio Marui, you want to see, you saw glimpses of it. You know, you go back to the Seton Hall game. I think, what did he have, like 22 points? That same scoring output wasn't necessarily there. And, of course, Omar Rui, you know, he does all the little things well. He's that great heart and soul player uh, for the Scarlet Knights. But you want to see, you know, maybe that 22 won't be 20 every night, but if it can be consistently in a 12 to 16 range, you know, it's going to have to be a score-by-committee kind of approach, I think, early on until someone really steps up, maybe Geo Baker, who knows. But, you know, I think if they could develop throughout this offseason well offensively and get that consistent scoring from guys who have been in this program before, I think that's just going to help Steve Peichel and help the offense going forward, at least early in the season. Yeah, I mean, I think what you really want to see out of this team, since you don't really know what you have, is, is better ball movement. You know, a lot of times last year, and I, I liked Deshaun a lot, and I think he was important, played really good defense. But a lot of times the ball would kind of disappear in Corey's hands or in Deshaun's hands, and I think that was partially by design because they didn't know what they had otherwise scoring-wise. But if they can get open shots, if, if you know, Omarui started to become really crafty kind of around the basket last year, and, and you know, if Shaq Carter can rebound and get the putbacks, and, and if Miles Johnson is actually what um, – Michael says he is or has been saying, you know, there's there's potential. It's just it's a matter of, you know, the schedule's more difficult this year. The Big Ten, um, the out of conference, I know we'll get to that, but it's going to be there. I think there are going to be some growing pains, but I think this year you're really going to see a team that's better in February than it is in um, November. Obviously, the names coming back, we, we know them. Geo Baker, Shaq Dorson, Mamadou Dukour, we, we've said it all, but obviously. It seems like Rutgers fans are as excited about Rutgers basketball as I've ever seen. And I, you know, I, I've only been following Rutgers for so long, my time as a student, a little bit before that. But, you know, there's some real, some real optimism, as I said before. And a lot of that has to do with the recruiting class Pico brought in. Ron Harper Jr., Montez Mathis, uh, Caleb McConnell, and Shaq Carter, a four-man recruiting class. The big name, of course, the, the one who... Uh, committed to the Scarlet Knights over over UConn at the time, Montez Mathis. You know, when you're looking at him and you're looking at potential replacements uh, for Corey Sanders, I think that's the first guy people are going to look at because he was such a heralded recruit, you know, a top 100 recruit. People are going to look at Montez Mathis. There's going to be lofty expectations placed onto him, and it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what he does to start and how Steve Peichel uses him throughout the season, he he showed that he's you know not afraid to get freshmen in there early. Geo Baker and Mamadou Dukour. How is he going to use Montez Mathis at the guard spot, and how is he going to you know ease him into Big Ten play? Yeah, it it is going to be really interesting. I mean, he's 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 coming in kind of as the replacement for Corey Sanders, but it seems like you know watching you know four minute highlight videos on YouTube uh, that he's a, a totally different 
player. He's not that, you know, ball handler, you know, razzmatazz. He's, he seems way more workmanlike, and he can get to the rim, and he can dunk, and he can rebound, and he can shoot it a little bit. But he's he's six four, and and you know I think he has that versatility. But if I think if fans are expecting him to come in and kind of light it up to start with, I, I don't think you can expect that. I think you you see a kind of garbage pail kid who's going to find, or sorry, not garbage pail, lunch pail kid, um, who's just going to find ways to get points. And if he can get 12 to 15 points a night, I mean that's going to be great. But I don't think it's going to be, you know flashy i think it's going to be uh you know a quiet 15 mm-hmm. you know he gets seven from the line he, he hits a three that's 10 you know and you know that sort of thing um each night i, I and i think that's what pico wants i think he wants these guys that are going to defend and rebound and then if they can get out and run and dunk that's great and if they can you know find a way to score in the half court even better and and so i think mathis is really interesting that way because i think when you see somebody who's ranked like he was you expect this kind of flash but i don't think he's that kind of player i think he's like a better version of mike i love mike williams but <laughs> i think he's like a better version like that kind of lunch pail i'm gonna get the ball i'm gonna get the key rebound and and score on an and one under the basket you know like a more more um a higher more highly rated version of mike williams more than a a um Corey Sanders type. Uh, most definitely and i think you know montez mathis comes into you know, obviously a much better situation than Corey Sanders came into. Mm-hmm. You know, Corey Sanders, when, when he came in as a freshman, uh, obviously was just handed the keys to the castle by Eddie Jordan. Right. He, the ball is yours. Here is your offense. You run it. And there were times where Corey, you know, put on a show. You know, who can forget 40? I think he had 48 points against Illinois. He, you know, that buzzer beater three to send it to over. I mean, you can't forget that. That was just a moment, you know, I was on the call of that game for WRSU, and that was a moment I'll never forget. You know, Rutgers obviously ended up losing the game, right, right. but still, what a moment it was for Corey Sanders. And there were times where he showed, you know, his great potential, but there were also times where he showed, you know, he was not ready and he was being overpowered and he was being outmatched uh, by Big Ten defenses and, and other Big Ten guards. And obviously, as he progressed and got more mature uh, in his game, that that changed and it showed in the, you know, all culminated in the Big Ten tournament uh, last season. But Montez Mathis comes in, you know, not needing to carry an offense for Rutgers like Corey Sanders did. Obviously, Geo Baker, the guy who is going to be leaned heavily uh, on this season at the guard spot to score, and you have other weapons, as we've mentioned before. But, you know, I, I bring up Geo Baker because I, I want to ask you a question. I want to kind of – I want to talk about really all four of these new recruits at once, and you can really include Peter Kiss and Miles Johnson in it as well because those are two guys who obviously didn't play last year on the team, practiced with them, but didn't play. You know, Geo Baker, an under-recruited guy, someone who, you know, showed so much potential and so many flashes during the regular season. So I wonder, and I'll give you my answer after you give yours. Okay. For you, who's going to be this year's Geo Baker? Who's going to be that new recruit, uh, that that incoming player that didn't play last year that's going to, you know, really wow and, and kind of, who knows, maybe even overachieve to what he was recruited as? If we're including Peter Kiss, I think it's, it's going to be a – I think Mon, I think Montez Mathis is going to be consistent – but I think a toss-up night in and night out between Ron Harper and Peter Kiss, you know, kind of putting on a show might be what you look for. I mean, Harper is from around near where I live up in North Jersey. Mm-hmm. I've, I've seen him play at Bosco, and he, he's just he's the kind of kid that he, uh, apparently in a game against Bergen Catholic this year, he had the flu, 
and you know the flu was terrible this year. And and he apparently looked at his mother and said, "I'm playing." And then he went and scored like 20 points and and kind of carried Bosco on his. <laughs> it was it was the Ron Harper flu game. It was the Ron Harper flu game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think you know that says so much about um, him as a player. And I think Peter Kiss has a little of that grit too. You know, I think. Rutgers is starting to bring in, Peichel's starting to bring in guys, and you saw it with Geo Baker, um, uh, guys who don't like to lose, you know, where, where losing mm-hmm. really bothers them. And, and that's the kind of player that I think Peichel was at UConn, and I think he looks for that kind of grit um, and chip on the shoulder. And, and you have to have that when you come to a place like Rutgers. So I think, I think Harper is really going to be the surprise, but I wouldn't put it past Peter Kiss to be like, you know, a starter. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, you you brought up a a good point there about you know Pykele bringing in people who who just don't like to lose, and it you know brings up the saying you know you want players in here who hate to lose more than they love to win. Right. And I I think you hit a you know hit the nail right on the head. I think Pykele you know was that type of player at UConn, um, and helped you know start up UConn's program to the dominance that they had um, under Jim Calhoun. And I think he's bringing in the same type of player as obviously as you said. And for me, you know, I'm looking at it, who's going to be that guy to make the biggest impact, right, like Geo Baker did last year. And while not a guard, I'm going to go with Shaq Carter. Now, I always said, while you love Deshaun Freeman and everything he did, I always said those two inches, if he was just 6'9 or 6'10, man, what this guy would be a first-team All-Big Ten player. But because he lacked those couple of inches, those couple of inches that Shaq Carter has— I think Shaq Carter, and you know, obviously time will tell, but I think Shaq Carter could be that one guy who who makes an impact right away down low and is one of the best, if not the best, scoring big for the Scarlet Knights this season. I think he just has that much talent, and I think you know, you looked at it back then. I remember the recruiting class was Ron Harper, Montez Mathis, and Mac McClung, and Mac McClung ends up decommitting, and I, I, you know, Mac McClung, you wish him the best of luck at Georgetown. Uh, had highlight reel dunks uh, online, but I, I always said I thought getting Shaq Carter was a lot more important than getting Mac McClung because they needed a big to replace Deshaun Freeman a lot more than they needed another guard. And getting Shaq Carter in here after Mac McClung decommitted, I think, was the right move. And I think Carter is going to have just a, a huge impact uh, on the Scarlet Knights offensively and defensively, just with those added couple of inches that Deshaun Freeman didn't have. Yeah, I think the big question for all these guys is what is the adjustment going to be like? You know, Gio seemed to come in, and until he got sick and kind of hit that wall, he didn't seem to need the adjustment. But you remember Deshaun Freeman, and Freeman and Candido saw those Juco guys. I remember the adjustment they needed, and especially in Peichel's first year. Um, it took a while. And even, you know, Freeman kind of came off the bench in the Big Ten tournament. They were starting Omarui at, at, the, at the four, and a lot of times it was Omarui and Freeman was playing center. So I think the big question, Harper and Montez and, and Shaq and, and even Caleb McConnell, you know, what's their adjustment going to be? Because I think of all the players that are, unless something changes, of all the players that are going to be thrown into the fire, I think Caleb McConnell is going to be, um, we haven't talked about him much, but, you know, somebody's got to back up Geo Baker at, at point guard, and it seems like it's going to be him. So it's this kind of unheralded recruit that they kind of found in, in uh, March, April and he's going to play you know 15 20 minutes a night he's going to have to because they need somebody to Geo can't play 38 minutes a night at point guard you know so it's that adjustment for these guys and that's going to be 
the biggest question mark. And I think you bring up a good point with McConnell, you know, while not as late as Pico has gotten other recruits in the past, you know, we remember he's gotten guys as late as August. Yeah, we might still have that this year. Yeah, but <laughs> McConnell seems to be that guy. You know, he was the last one um, out of the four who committed to the Scarlettites. Um, you know, kind of someone who, who Steve Peichel saw late, offered late, and and McConnell ended up committing. He could be that guy. You know, oh, Eugenio Marie was one of the latest recruits that I've seen in a long time commit to a basketball program. I think he committed sometime in, in you know, July, late July or early August when he committed to the Scarlettites. So Caleb McConnell, while not as late as Omar Rui when he committed, you know, I feel like could be, you mentioned, that guy who who backs up Geo Baker. You know, Caleb McConnell, 6'5", 180. You know, if he added a little bit more weight, got up to maybe 190, 195, you know, he'd be a perfect, a, a prototypical backup, has great length, um, has has a good offensive game as a backup. I think, you know, you, you bring up a good point. He could be someone who sees, you know, incredibly important minutes because we saw as – Injuries mounted for the Scarlet Knights, specifically with Mike Williams. A lot of Geo Baker, a lot of Corey Sanders, and Rutgers didn't have that depth behind them. You know, Jake Dadica and Matt Bullock, you give them a lot of credit for what they could bring, but they could only bring so much. Yeah. A guy like Caleb McConnell, if he could step in there, provide that depth, if, you know, Geo Baker needs a needs a blow or, you know, something happens to another guard, that would be huge for Rutgers just because it's, it's another scholarship player and it's another guy who Steve Peichel saw fits his system to come in and run the point for the Scarlet Knights. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's true because I think there's experience at pretty much, even Peter Kisses kind of has experience at pretty much every other spot. There's at least somebody who's played there before where these new guys are coming in. Um, but Gio, he played a little one last year, but he didn't play too much of it. And now they're asking him to, you know, kind of take the reins, barring some sort of grad transfer coming in here out of nowhere. Um and, and so McConnell's really going to have to be there to, to back him up um, and learn the offense and, you know, defend the opposing point guard and still, you know, make an open three if it's there kind of thing. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, it certainly will. And before I, we're going to move on to, and I know you mentioned it before the schedule, but I want to bring up one more point with McConnell. You know, I mentioned it 6'5", I'm sure it can get up to 6'6". You know, he has great length. A very long guy, too. And when you're going up against the Big Ten, obviously, to have that length with your arms and your legs and, and to really disrupt passing lanes defensively. You know, we've been talking about him offensively, but defensively, I think that's just a big plus for the Scarlet Knights. So a 6'6 point guard is, is fantastic. Yeah, you know, I, you, really, you can't ask for anything more. Um, interesting things to me that Pykele's been able to do so quickly is, you know, Eddie Jordan and I remember Mike Rice, they all struggled so much to bring in these Six five, six six guys. You know, Miles Mack was great, but he was five eleven. You know, and they always wanted, they always looked for length, looking for length. And Pykele, in two years, he's starting his third year, and there's length at every position. As we move on to scheduling, you know, Rutgers has had a little bit of an easy time in their non-conference schedule the first couple of years under Steve Pykele. Obviously, it's been you know well noted, Pykele and. You know, others might disagree, but I think it was smart of Steve Peichel to do so the first couple of years, allow these kids in a in a new system to gain confidence uh, before the Big Ten schedule to get some wins underneath their belt. Um, but this year, it seems as though the tides are turning a little bit. Now, you go back to last season, no away non-conference games. Now, that I was... Know, I have season tickets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, that was partly because, obviously... Um, they they didn't play in the Gavit games. The Seton Hall game uh, was at home, and as well uh, was the ACC Big Ten Challenge against Florida State. But this year, Seton Hall's away. They're going back to Miami. 
uh, you know, they're playing Fordham. They're playing Fordham on the yeah, crazy to go back to Miami, but we'll we'll talk about that in a little <laughs> bit. They're playing Fordham on the road. They're playing UMass on the road. Um, more difficult home non-conference games, obviously against St. John's and the Gavit games, but. You know, this schedule, and I think it's smart of Steve Peichel now to to start bringing in uh, bigger-name opponents to the rack. It's it's one that is going to test the Scarlet Knights earlier on or a lot earlier than they've been tested the last couple of years. But I think with a younger team, all this does by bringing in bigger-time opponents, by bringing in, you know, Power 5, you know, group of six opponents, I think it just makes it so much better for Rutgers. It'll allow them to learn, allow these young guys to get adjusted prior to Big Ten play to, you know, what the grind and the grit of Big Ten play is. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, I don't know how much of this is, you know, Pike on how much of this is all those different league games and Seton Hall being on the schedule and everything, but they're really going to get put through their paces. You know, I'm I'm sure there's going to be a couple more cupcakes added. That'll be the home games and you know, pad the wins, but this is a brand new team, basically, and they have some tough games. Um, I really think that the crowd will be there for them, which, you know, hasn't always been there in the past, and that'll help, but um, they're going to have to learn and gel quick if they want to have a successful um, out-of-conference schedule. It, it reminds me a lot of Penn State two years ago when they brought in Tony Carr and that big recruiting class, and they kind of played everybody. And it showed. They got a little beat up. But the next year, you know, last season, they got the 18 wins. They got to the mm-hmm. NIT final. You know, it, this is going to be – there's potential – depending on how quick the adjustment is, there's potential for this to be a real fun year. But more likely, I think this is going to be a, a learning year. And I, I think, you know, they could win more Big Ten games than last year, five, six Big Ten games, but still kind of have the same – end of season record with 15 wins you know that that sort of thing exactly and i was just going to mention you know not only look you look at the last two years you know they've played bryant and you know njit and and fairly dickinson who, who they're playing again uh this coming season um but you know those were games where you know you were happy but you went in assuming that Rutgers would win now did they win them all no obviously we remember the hartford games yeah. and the stony brook game from last year but you know you went in assuming Rutgers was going to win now you go into games where they could potentially be toss-ups or you could be in store for maybe even seeing an upset. You look at that St. John's game at home. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a game that people are going to circle on their calendar. You mentioned crowds. I'm sure that crowd is going to be electric. You know, yeah. a brand name like St. John's coming to the rack. Obviously, they recruit the same type of, uh, of kids, recruit from around the same areas. A big game, you know, that way as well. Right. That's potential for an upset, a potential for, you know, uh, wins that really help move a program forward so not only you know while you're right that it could be a learning season for the Scarlet Knights similar to what Penn State did um, but it could also be a season where you said it look if if they go about their non-conference schedule and you know let's hope that would be amazing end it with the same record that they ended their non-conference schedule last year I mean you can't ask for anything more that means they they upset St. John's or they upset Miami or beat Seton Hall again you know you you really couldn't ask for anything more so while you know the schedule will be harder it's just a bigger opportunity for this new team and this younger team to to pull off some upsets and really you know shock the nation and, and shock the Big Ten and to further prove that Rutgers basketball is on the come up and Rutgers basketball could be a real force uh, going forward and you know look there are going to be cupcakes I, I was reading an article by Jerry Carino and and he mentioned some of them Eastern Michigan is coming to the rack 
uh, Fairleigh Dickinson again, Columbia. Rutgers is going to Fordham and going to UMass. You know, two teams that aren't as low as Eastern Michigan and Fairleigh Dickinson and Columbia, but two teams that Rutgers should very well beat. Those games are going to be there, and like you said, I'm sure there's going to be a couple other cupcake schedule to help pad some wins. But, you know, this schedule, while much more difficult than previous ones, it's so much more exciting because you don't, you're not able to just go in and say, all right, Rutgers is going to blow NJIT out by 25 points. Right. You're going to say, okay, St. John's is coming in. We're going to, we're looking forward to a, a hard fought, a tough, and potentially a, a, a real progressing uh, program changing win. Yeah. And, and I think what's interesting, you know, kind of like last year, I think with the 20 Big Ten games, I think you're going to see two Big Ten games again in the, um, in the, uh, you know, the... the uh, I think it was in December, yeah, December, no, in November, December. Which is going to make that, that just as hard. You know, it's not a cakewalk where all of a sudden it's January and you feel like you're playing real games. It's it's going to be pretty much wire to wire with, you know, some breathers in, but, like, it's not going to be easy. It, it certainly won't. And you look at the Big Ten schedule for the Scarlet Knights, and look, Michigan State, they're playing home and away. Ohio State, they're playing home and away. Penn State, they're playing home and away. Indiana, Iowa, Minnesota, Northwestern, they're also playing them home and away. So the Big Ten did not do them any favors in terms of teams they get to play twice. Now, they only play Michigan once, and that's at the rack. Same thing with Maryland. But, you know, I looked at that home and away schedule earlier today, and, you know, Michigan State is obviously, you know, Rutgers seems to play them tough every time they play them. But, you know, you you would much love to play a team like, you know, Illinois or or Nebraska twice compared to Michigan State. Um, same thing with Ohio State. Obviously, losing K to Bates D up, but you know they're retooling uh, under Chris Holtman. Penn yeah. State, obviously, they just won the NIT, so they doesn't seem like they're going anywhere anytime soon. Indiana as well. So you know the Big Ten didn't do them any favors, but you know hopefully this non-conference schedule because it's more difficult, it'll prepare the Scarlet Knights. Like you said, you know so often the last couple seasons, cupcake games in November and December, and then, you know, finally it's January, finally we're playing, you know, meaningful basketball games in the Big Ten. No, they're going to be playing meaningful basketball games early on, and hopefully that better prepares them for the the gauntlet of a Big Ten schedule it seems like they have on a year-in and year-out basis. Yeah, I mean, I I think my next line will will make Rutgers Athletics really happy, but, I mean, this is a year, if you want to see good games, to get your tickets. (laughs) I I, I think... uh, um, this is a year to kind of pack the rack because I just think there's there's excitement almost up and down the board. But it's not, you know, they're not playing Duke and Kentucky and North Carolina where it's like, oh, we're just going to get blown out every night. They're, they're games that are challenges, but they're not automatic losses. They're not automatic wins, you know. So Yeah, no, certainly. And, and you know, you mentioned pack the rack and you mentioned the home crowd. And it does seem over these past two years that, you know, these teams come into the rack. It's no guarantee that they're coming out of victory, you know. Look at Rutgers and Purdue last year. What was it, 76-74 game? Rutgers very well could have won at the rack. Yeah. Florida State, obviously, uh, back in the ACC Big Ten Challenge last year. Rutgers, yeah. I believe, only lost by five points. Michigan State, I think Rutgers was either tied or up at the half. So, you know, the rack is, while, you know, not the most glamorous gym now compared to what other Big Ten gyms are, uh, a gym that has a big home court advantage. And, you know, we've seen under Peichel, that the fans have come out and that uh, they've shown their support. And that place has gotten loud, especially when the big-name opponents come in. So, you know, as I said before, this is a schedule that, while much more difficult than previous years, it, it, there's so much more opportunity. Yeah, and, and I, I'm, I'm going to show my age here, Lance. I, I know you're a little younger than me, <laughs> and, and Aaron will back me up on this, but I don't think, you know, younger Rutgers fans have really seen 
what the rack can be like. You know, I've seen it where you can't, you turn to the person next to you and you can't hear yourself talk. And, and Aaron goes back even further than I do because I know he's been going since he was a kid. I've been going since I, I, uh, I attended. And, you know, they talk about the 1989 game and 81. I mean, the rack, yeah, it's not fancy, but it, I, I, I would never want to lose that place because it's, when it's packed and it's a big game, there's no better place to watch. Certainly. And, and you know, while, you know, I did my four years at, at Rutgers and um, I always joke with my friends, you know, I've seen this place, Rutgers, I remember my freshman year, the first game I ever went to as a student, Rutgers, George Washington, the place maybe had a thousand people in it and Rutgers yeah, got blown yeah, out man. to, you know, Rutgers, Purdue, my senior year where Rutgers lost by two and the place was electric. The one game I do remember before these past couple seasons where the place has actually gotten loud and, and and the fans have packed the rack, the one time I've seen that kind of atmosphere beforehand I go back was, I don't remember what year it was. It was, I think, early 2010s, Rutgers, Florida. Oh, that's my what, favorite game. Yeah, when I, I was there with my dad, uh, my brother, and a family friend. Uh, he had gotten tickets, you know, Mike Rice. We were, I think, a couple rows off of Mike Rice, too. So oh. we saw everything that he had to offer. Uh, um, and that was the, I, that was the loudest I had heard the rack before that. And I went to a couple games before that. Both my parents went to Rutgers, uh, but I had never seen the rack that loud. And that, after seeing what it was like against Purdue and Michigan State and Florida State, yeah. that's what I compare it to. I that was the one time where the first time I had ever seen the rack get so loud. And you're right, you know, it's it's. And as I said before, it's not the fanciest place. You know, there are bigger. Uh, arenas now, you know, you look at Wisconsin, Nebraska, all these places have, you know, huge arenas, but, you know, the rack, there's something special about it when, yeah. when, when Rutgers plays there and when it gets packed and when there's, you know, the 8,000 screaming fans there, like you said, where you can't, you know, you could turn to the person next to you, you can't hear what they say. There's something special about that. And I think this schedule uh, with St. John's, um, with, you know, all those Seton Halls away, you know, just with the bigger name opponents coming in, I think it's it's going to go back to those days where on a nightly basis, you know, you're going to just that, – that place is going to shake. And I'm excited to see what ultimately that looks like if and when Rutgers basketball kind of gets back to that, you know, consistent winning. Right. Absolutely. We're going to wrap it up in a little bit. But before we do so, I want to just kind of summarize everything we've talked about and kind of get your take on ultimately, you know, when we're talking again in, you know, November – Right, and we're looking forward to the season. We're about a week away. What ultimately does this team look like? You know, what is this team going to to be like? You know, you'd assume defensive first, rebounding, like Steve Peichel preaches. But you know, the roster. How is it going to fill out? How is this team going to play in terms of you know depth charts and you know starting lineup and everything like that? So I guess kind of, and I'll start. You know, this team to me at least, you know, as I said, rebounding and defense. That's what Steve Peichel is going to build his basketball team on. Um, but I'm so interested to see, namely, what happens in Andre Hyatt, a guy who could be 2018 class, could be 2019 class, could be a 2018 guy that red shirts, who knows. But if Rutgers is able to bring him in, you know, obviously with all the excitement of bringing in a local guy in Paul Mulcahy for the 2019 class, I think it would be a huge recruit for the Scarlet Knights, a four-star wing player, a guy who could contribute right away. I think if he... Uh, Pykele is able to add him as that last piece to the 2018 class, and you go in with uh, him on the roster, I think it's just such an added bonus to a, what is already an improved team overall, I think, for the Scarlet Knights, and to what would be, I think, an improved offense for Rutgers going forward. Yeah, that Andre Hyatt situation, there's there's something going on there. <laughs> um, I don't know, 
you know, I don't have any inside information or whatever. I'm just kind of reading the tea leaves. But it seems like right now Rutgers has a really good shot. Um, I know he's visiting Seton Hall next week. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, the kid, the kid is burning official. You only get four or five official visits. And if he's going to be a 2019 kid and he's not going to pick Rutgers or Seton Hall for 2019. He's only got like two left. <laughs> yeah, he's only got two, two visits left. So I have a – I think Rutgers – I don't want to say they're in the driver's seat. I, I really have no idea. But I think right now at this very moment, you know, January 11th at 8.32 p.m., I think Rutgers has as good a chance as anybody else. And if you can add Hyatt, you know, one of the things that's really interesting to me with Peichel is how he's willing to play the long game. You know, they really could have used at times Miles Johnson last year, even if he wasn't ready, and Peichel really stuck to his guns. You know, he didn't play uh, – he didn't bring in a grad transfer at guard to add depth. He brought in a sit-out transfer in, you know, Peter Kiss, and he did the same this year with Jacob Young, you know, another sit-out when he could have kind of filled that spot with a, a grad transfer. So he's playing the long game, and if he's willing to sit – you know, Andre Hyatt, that, that's just – you want to talk about excitement. If this team as it is now with its depth can kind of step in and, and, you know, have a decent year and, and kind of get people excited, then if Andre Hyatt, whether he plays or red shirts, and you add Paul McKay, he, man, I mean, he's really got something going then. So I got my fingers crossed about Hyatt. Um, I tweet about him every once in a while. You know, I don't know if he has his uh, tweet deck search set up for his name, but uh, – <laughs> kind of hope you know you hope you, you never know what can happen but but it really at the moment seems like Rutgers has as good a shot as anybody they certainly do and I think the one thing about uh Steve Peichel is you know it's only July we've seen him bring in guys bring in impact guys so late in the cycle you know he brought in CJ Gettys in his first year I, I think remember, late I August tell the story before not to interrupt but CJ Gettys Rutgers added CJ Gettys right in the middle of Chris Ash's first press conference where he was announcing who was going to start at quarterback. You know, it was hilarious. Oh, my God, really? Yeah, it was right in the middle of it. You know, he was. it was like, that's going on. All of a sudden, it's like Peichel kicked the door open. Like, <laughs> I got it, <a> big man. <laughs> so that's how late that was. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Andre Hyatt, you know, if he comes, great, and he'll fill that last spot. If he, if he doesn't, you know, you know Steve Peichel, one thing he's been great at is he has backup plans. You know, um, you look at even a couple of months ago, you thought the point guard they were going after was Ty Strickland. He ended up committing to Wisconsin, and then boom, Peichel has a backup plan right there. Caitlin McConnell's in a couple weeks later. So Steve Peichel always seems to have backup plans. So whether or not Andre Hyatt comes, if he doesn't, you could rightly assume that Steve Peichel a couple weeks later or, you know, maybe even late August is going to have a grad transfer in or another recruit in or someone to fill that spot. Because one thing he does so well is he takes advantage of all of everything around him. And he's got 11 scholarship players right now. Obviously, Jacob Young has to sit out. Plus, you got Paul Mulcahy uh, coming in 2019. So you got one spot left. And I'd be very shocked if come the first game, that one spot isn't filled. You know, again, if it's Andre Hyatt, great. If it's not, I would not be at all surprised if Steve Peichel sets his eyes on a grad transfer and targets that grad transfer hard and ends up bringing him in because that's just what Steve Peichel does. He uses every single resource around him to make this team better, and that one scholarship is the big resource he has, and I would not be at all surprised if Andre Hyatt's not there that a grad transfer comes right in and fills the spot in the big. Yeah, I mean, I think if you kind of watch on on Twitter and, and, and everything this week, it's perfect to kind of see where they are, who they're looking at. I know 
there's some names out there. Uh, if he misses out on Hyatt, that Ismail Masood, I think is his name, mm-hmm. is a guy they're looking for that could kind of fill that role for 2019. Um, so there's always a backup plan. And, I, you know, it, it is late. Um, it, I don't know. He could roll that over, that scholarship over for all I know. Um, but uh, he, he definitely, you know, they have several targets in mind. But I think Hyatt is, is number one. He certainly is, and it'll be interesting. You know, you mentioned he's going to take an official visit to Seton Hall soon, and Rutgers, Seton Hall, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that ultimately plays out because you, you saw maybe Creighton. Now he's no longer taking an vis- official visit to Creighton. You know, maybe he'll take another official visit to LSU, but it seems like right now at least with Rutgers getting an official and now Seton Hall getting official that those two teams might be the two teams that he's eyeing, and it could be, you know, a New Jersey battle for Andre Hyatt. You know, it's something to watch, and it'll certainly be exciting um, as the weeks and months toll by as we get closer and closer to the start of the 2018-2019 basketball season. Yeah, let's uh, just skip over that whole football thing. Yeah. <laughs> get to November. Yeah, look, hey. You <laughs> I got to be on brand. I got to be on brand. Yeah, look, I I am, again, I, I'm looking forward I can't wait until I get to read your four thoughts after game one uh, all the way up to game 31 in the Big Ten tournament. So, you know, I, I, I am looking forward to it. If you want to follow Dave on Twitter and, you know, read his four thoughts during the season, well, you could follow him at Dave underscore White on Twitter. And, of course, Lots of puns. Be ready for <laughs> and, and, and you can hear all of not only on during his four thoughts, but, Dave, you are quite, uh, as I mentioned in my tweet earlier today, there's not many that are more fanatical about Rutgers basketball than you. Yeah, it's, well, I got lucky. My first two games after after I graduated, you know, I, I went to the rack. I, I worked a lot in college, so I didn't go to the rack as much as I would have liked. But my first two games after I graduated were Rutgers played UConn and then Syracuse. It's Gary Waters' first year, and they beat them both. And it was like, that's it. I'm <laughs> the place was amazing. It was rocking. And, uh, you know, since then, I, I haven't been able to give it up. I just... Can't help but be hopeful that one day. Hey, and you know what? Under Steve Peichel, it seems like that one day is uh, coming sooner rather than later. So, Dave, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, it really has been a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, hopefully I'll, I'll be able to come on again. We get Aaron on. We'll really do some back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to it. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Follow SB Nation on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation, and you can find out when our next podcast is debuting.